Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. everyone, and welcome back to New Books in History. I'm Mark Clovis, your host for the channel. Today I'm talking with William D. Godsey about his study of the fiscal role of the estates of Lower Austria in the Habsburg Empire during the early modern era, entitled The Sinews of Habsburg Power, Lower Austria in a Fiscal Military State, 1650 to 1820. Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Mark. I wonder if you could start us off by telling us something about yourself. Um, I'm an American scholar born in Tennessee um, and uh, have been living in Europe since the uh, middle of the 1990s um, and am currently a senior research fellow of the Austrian Academy of Sciences in Vienna. Uh, as in your capacity, do you do uh, teaching or is it mostly a research position? It's a, My position is a research position, but I did a, a Habilitation, is what it's called in uh, German, um, about 10 years ago at the University of Vienna, which um, uh, which means that I have the right. It's The system is a little different than in the um, Anglo-Saxon world where you have, where you, if you have your PhD, then you're you're qualified to um, to teach at a university. Here, you you're supposed to do habilitation. Now, I have my PhD from the University of of, of, of Virginia, um, so I have an, I have an American PhD. But here, you're supposed to have a habilitation in order to teach at the university. <laughs> and so I did that. I went through that process, which it basically means you need a second book. <laughs> um, to, to teach. And that's that's what you need in America, too. And so I handed in my second book uh, to the University of Vienna, and they approved it as Abilitatio. And so I do teach now and again, but not very often. What was it that led you to write this book? That was a, that was a, a combination of things. On the one hand, the research focus of my institute on the on the Habsburg monarchy and the uh, and 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 particularly this uh, the the early modern period but also the the question of or the let's say the way that the Habsburg monarchy has been changing in our perceptions over the last 20 years the way historians have been changing our perceptions of the Habsburg monarchy which used to be viewed as um, a very brittle entity um, uh, historians, I would say, half century ago, portrayed the monarchy as practically in decline from the 18th century down then to the collapse of the 1918 to the collapse of the monarchy in 1918. This this date in 1918 is so important in in the way people think about Habsburg uh, history because this great empire that existed for hundreds of years in European history and was a was a was an important player suddenly disappeared. And so historians after 1918 were looking at um, at the reasons for its collapse and um, and tracing the, the and tracing the background of its collapse. Um, and in the last 20 years, um, historians have 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 that's that's changed. And historians have been looking at um, at uh, what made this empire work for so long and that was one of the questions that was a major question uh, behind my, my behind my book how did this empire uh, function 
um, in the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries. So your book focuses upon one institution of this empire, and that is the estates of Lower Austria. I wonder if you could start us off by explaining uh, what the estates were and uh, what, why their location in Lower Austria was was uh, uh, was so important and worth focusing on. Okay, well, let's think about what the Habsburg monarchy uh, was, how it was put together. It was a it was a composite monarchy, which was made which which means it was made up of of individual territories, each of which had its own uh, political identity, and there were representative institutions in each of these territories. And the Habsburg dynasty, the ruling family of this of this monarchy, ruled each of these territories under a particular title. And um, as I say, there were representative institutions in, e- in, in each te- territory, um, diets, or I, I don't want to use the word legislature. I don't think that's uh, that would be the, the the best comparison. But estates, they were in 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 English. You say estates who were called together on a regular basis um, to approve tra- uh, to approve taxes and 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 other requests by the ruler each year. And the estates were composed of nobles and uh, and 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 prelates. And and burghers or or town or townsmen, um, so there were three or four three or four estates in 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 these um, in these institutions. I thought it was interesting the way you described it. In the book was that the, these estates uh, are were not static. That uh, there, you had these uh, at the beginning. You talked about the four estates, and I thought that was interesting because uh, for for people who might be familiar with France and and, the, and during the French Revolution, you have the three estates: the the clergy, the nobility, and and and, and, and you know the the, the commoners, so to speak. And right. how in the in Lower Austria, it was these four estates, and how. Uh, and and how over this period it, the composition of them the 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 numbers the uh, role does not remain static they actually fluctuate and that forms part of your analysis of the role that they played. That's um, that's right. Um, the um, there were this this the the system was comparable to what you what you just said was a, was the structure in France. They were they were. Um, Basically, three estates, but the, the in in Lower Austria and in other Habsburg lands, the nobility was divided up into two estates, and so you had the you had the um, one one um, organization or one curia as what, what that's the word I used in the book one one estate for lords, the upper nobility, and one estate for the knights, and then there was an estate of prelates and an estate of the um, of of, of, of the townsmen, and the estates um, fluctuated uh, in in numbers and in and in quality or composition um, over time. The estate of the the estate of knights declined over the um, course of uh, the, of the period that I deal with. The estate of lords um, became ever more important and ever more powerful. The um, the lords increased in number, the knights decreased in number. The estate of um, the, the clergy, the estate of the clergy or the estate of prelates, as they were called, uh, uh, was um, remained about uh, up at least up, up until the reign of Joseph II remained um, pretty static in terms of its in terms of its membership. Um, I guess we'll come back to the to the question of Joseph II later later in the interview, um, but the estate of it's lost about half of its members in the 1780s through the reforms. Now, and the yeah, in the and the in the fourth estate, the the estate of um, the, the estate of townsmen was the uh, early modern uh, towns in in Austria from starting in the 16th century were in decline, and uh, most of them were so poor that they couldn't even uh, pay their their part of the of the taxes that the diets approved each year, and so they played a marginal role in the estates. They weren't represented in the major committees, for example. You've described the, the structure of the states, of the estates. What role did they play in terms of the functioning of the Habsburg Empire as a European power during this period? Okay. Um, I guess one way, one, um, 
one way to you know to get into this question would be to think of what think what early modern states did what were the um and maybe to compare them to what modern states do what did early modern states do and they had basically three major areas of activity um the uh, fiscal extraction in order basically raising taxes the other uh, the, the the second um uh, area was is public order and justice, uh, and the third area is the maintenance of a of an army. So basically, um, external defense and um, the e- external defense and maintaining um, domestic order. So these were the these were the activities of of, of early modern um, states, and many uh, are all basically uh, early modern states were not did not have a, a, a bureaucracy that helped them to to um, undertake these activities and um, um, and they needed the support basically of local society and there were these estates that existed in every territory that were uh, located at the at the um, intersection i would say at the intersection of government and society um they were the, they were the local represent they were the representatives of local society basically the, the the people who in local society who were um had control of resources um and and the estates because they were organized they had they had organizations they were uh, made they had uh, com- standing committees um in 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 the uh, main cities um, or in the capital cities of the individual provinces and had other ways of, of, of or had other means of, of setting up administrative structures that's, that's i'm sorry i'm i'm thinking i'm thinking in german again mine's my talking in english no worries. Um, of, of 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 setting up administrative structures that would enable government to to function i don't know whether i've answered the question um i i think or, you have that these were these institutions as i uh the, the estates uh, as you've explained were very important in terms of providing government for Lower Austria, this 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 region of of uh, the empire, which, as you explain in the book, was uh, a, an important region economically, but was one in decline at a time when, as you uh, go in, as you explain, the state, the 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 you know, is starting to place greater demands, fiscal demands, uh, upon the. Uh, structure of 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 uh you know the fiscal uh structure to support their their army as they're engaged in expansion and defense that's right and why you asked me a minute ago you asked me why lower austria lower austria was um was a central geographically fiscally um and politically a central territory of the habsburg monarchy vienna is that was the residence of the Habsburg rulers. Vienna is the capital of Lower Austria. Lower Austria lies at the center of, of, of this composite monarchy that I mentioned a minute ago that consisted of the Bohemian lands, of the Hungarian lands, of the, of the Austrian duchies and of the Austrian lands. Of course, the Habsburg monarchy was composed. It was, it was, I think today people, when they when they think about the Habsburg monarchy, they think of, about the specifically Central European monarchy that existed in the late 19th century. But the Habsburg monarchy in the early modern period was they were the sort of composed of various of of, of various collections of territories, as I say, the Bohemian ones, the, the Austrian ones, the Hungarian ones, but there were also the the territories in the in the southern Netherlands. The territory there were the the Habsburgs had territories in northern Italy. The Habsburgs, we should also remember, were emperors of the Holy Roman Empire. But the Habsburg, the dynasty at center, was in. Vienna and Vienna was the capital of Lower Austria, and, and this was the reason that I chose uh, chose this territory um, uh, to see. It, it provided insight into the way the dynasty dealt with the estates in one of its territories. The, these estates were um, the Habsburgs had uh, uh, regular contact 
with the estates of Lower Austria in a way they didn't have with any of the other, other estates. I mean, lots of people know that uh, Maria Theresa went to visit the Hungarian Diet in, 17, in the early 1740s when she came to the throne to plead for existence. But the Habsburg rulers had yearly contact with the estates in Lower Austria, and so I thought this provided um, uh, exceptional insight into the relationship between the center of Habsburg power and provincial power, which is the question I'm, I'm dealing with in this book. What you describe over the course of it, as I was reading it, was the, the note, was the idea that it was this evolving in a certain direction. And yet, as you explained, the evolution was not linear. It wasn't as though it was all about centralization and that you, you end the book with you know, a, a stronger central government and, and the estates is irrelevant. It, it, it's not necessarily a guaranteed thing. But you do point out from the beginning when you're talking about the middle of the, eight, of the 17th century, how there are already these uh, trends in place, these, these uh, demands uh, upon Habsburg power that necessitate changes to the relationship between the estates and the central monarchy. Could you elaborate a bit upon what some of those uh, pressures were that you describe and, and, and how the estates responded to them uh, with their structure in the 17th century? Sure. Um, well, let's think about what was going on in the middle of the 17th century. You have the end of the Thirty Years' War. And at the end of the Thirty Years' War, the situation was still so uncertain that the Habsburg emperor, that, or the, the emperor, we should, we should call him from the House of Habsburg, um, decided he needed to maintain a standing army. And this had not been the case in, in after earlier conflicts. The army had basically been, been dis, disbanded. Um, and... Um, and, and, and the pressure to maintain it had, 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 had declined after the end of an armed conflict. But suddenly, for the first time in Habsburg history, you have in the middle of the, 18th, or the, middle of the 17th century, 16, 1648, 1650, you have this decision to maintain a, a standing army, to keep a standing army in peacetime. And so you have to maintain that. Where is it going to be housed? Where, who's going to pay the salaries for these um, for these soldiers who's going to feed them, um, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and the army over the, uh, beginning in, uh, 1650, the army then increases in size, um, over the next basically 170 years, increases irregularly in size, not, not regularly in size, but irregularly in size. Um, and they, and, 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 um, almost in, from the 1670s, uh, the Habsburgs are at war with France, the France of Louis the Sixteenth of, of Louis the Fourteenth, excuse me, and with the um, and and then from the 1680s with the Ottoman Empire, um, basically war on two fronts, and so there uh, the so the size of the army uh, is is increasing, and by the early uh, 18th century, you have where if you had a standing army of around 30,000 people around 1650, you have um, by the first years of the 18th century, you already have 100,000, uh, an army of 100,000 men that has to be uh, maintained. And this increases over the 18th century. Then there are uh, various wars in the 18th century, the war of the of the Spanish succession at the at the beginning of the century, and then a couple of uh, Ottoman wars again in the in the first decades of the 18th century. Then you have the war of the Austrian succession, and by the time you get up to the to the period just before the French Revolution, you have the Habsburgs have an army of 300,000 of 300,000 men. It's it's tripled over the size of the 18th century and has is ten times the size of what's what was um, of the of the of the army after the Thirty Years' War, 140 years earlier? So you have so these these as I say these soldiers are um, these soldiers have to be fed, they have to be housed, they have to be paid, they have to be moved around, um, and who's and who's going to do this? Um, and the central authorities in the Habsburg monarchy don't have the resources themselves to. Um, to undertake this activity, and they need the they need basically need the help of local society, and there is all sorts of pressure from above on uh, on on the provinces, on the various territories that made up the Habsburg monarchy to maintain the standing army, and that means going to the diets, requesting money, going to the diets, asking them to um, uh, to set up administrative structures, 
to um, uh, to take care of these soldiers. That's I think you mentioned the commissariat, didn't you? Yeah, you were going to describe uh, you, you described the commissariat when it's uh, set in the 18th century as, as as being one such institution. Right, the, in the in the exactly in the 17th century, sort of toward the end of the of the Thirty Years' War, the, a, a commissariat comes into being um, in. Um, in, in Lower Austria, set up by the estates to look after the Habsburg army when it's on Lower Austrian territory. And the various um, uh, territories in the, in, the, in, the, in the Habsburg monarchy develop, develop sim- similar structures. The one here um, was um, uh, the one in the, the, the commissariat in, in, in Lower Austria that was maintained by the estates, was maintained... By, it was, just wasn't an administrative structure in the sense that the estates employed people from outside to do this sort of work. The estates themselves undertook this work. So the main commissarial positions were uh, were, were reserved to uh, to nobles and also at first clergy. So you even have prelates or abbots from some of the monasteries here um, uh, guiding soldiers through through the countryside. Um, these soldiers, when when Habsburg troops reached the borders of this province, they had to be guided through the province so that so that the settlements and rural people were as um, would be as little affected as possible. I mean, you have to remember what you know what what uh, uh, what that meant in the in the early modern period when a regiment of soldiers arrived in a village. How how terrifying that can be, and what damage uh, could ensue if it weren't done in an organized way. The um, food would be stolen, money would be stolen, um, all kinds of violence was also possible. So um, these structures were set up at the request of the central government by the provincial authorities as embodied by the estates to try to um, to uh, to 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 organize this activity um, as 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 well as possible and not just organize it but but finance it as well correct that's right also also to finance it so you um, so the the estates are um, being asked at the yearly diet, as I said, the four states then come together at a yearly meeting um, that could last several months, um, and financial demands are made by the central authorities on the um, on the diets. A request for um, for money, also for loans. The estates are also are accredited institutions. This is something that plays a really important part in my book. Um, are providing loans to the ruler, the estates, members of the estates themselves loan money to the corporation of the estates, which then loans money to the central government. Um, the, di- the, the estates are responsible for uh, tax collection, for the imposition and tax collection, the, the amount that they guarantee to the ruler, they then have to raise themselves through the tax structures. And these were the manorial the estates supervise the, if you will, the um, uh, struck the manorial structures in the countryside. The manorial structures um, and the village structures in the countryside um, took in the at the at the at the most basic level, at the lowest level, took in the money that that was uh, that was uh, imposed on them, and then and then uh, send it send it to the estates in Vienna, who then pass it on to the central government. That's the way the the administrative structure at that time it worked. And so the central government uh, was able to save money, if you will, by not having set up its own structures in the countryside um, to undertake all of this work. It would have been enormously expensive. And yet that, like so many things in life, comes at at, at a price. And and the price is that they they have to be more cooperative, correct? Right. The estates were, were... pulled into a system with with which they weren't always uh, or, or weren't always satisfied um, and um, but it was uh, it was either they um, they, they how should I, how, how should I put this it was either they they play this game or um, or they they disappear because they have they, because the they they um, would have had a, a privileged position without 
um, without basically paying for it. So their their privilege was based on on this cooperation. As long as they as long as they participated in government, uh, their privileged position was 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 secured, if you will. That's I guess that's that's the best way to put it. As long as they as long as they participated in fiscal uh, extraction, as long as they uh, helped organize uh, the standing army when it was when it was passing through lower austria or was or, or was billeted here um their their privileged position in society was um, was 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 relatively secure you just in your book you describe the evolution of this process over the 17th century into the 18th century and, and it seems that that by the 18th century uh, this new process has been negotiated out and it just, at that point, you start to see the amounts being requested increasing. You describe, for example, how you know, with with the War of Polish succession, the, the War of Austrian succession, it, it, the uh, Austrian state finds itself in, in a state of, of constant war, not the total war of the 19th and 20th centuries, but a, a war which, which puts uh, fiscal demands uh, on 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 uh, a re- this regular fiscal demand upon the the, the Habsburg state. The, the estates had this was a this was a process that had already begun in the in the uh, in the later 17th century, where the estates began to guarantee cer- certain amounts of money um, to the uh, to the central government in 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 agreements that were signed every few years. Um, and one of the one of the purposes of these agreements was to secure the credit activity of the estates that they were also undertaking uh, on behalf of the central government. The estates would not only provide free money or tax money to the central government; they would um, they would supply credit to the central government, and the the sum that they approved at the diet each year was was basically the guarantee that the that the credit they had taken out under their own name would be would be paid out and these sums were were constantly uh, increasing over the over the course of the later 17th and and 18th centuries and by around uh, seven during the war of the of the of the um, Austrian succession that you mentioned the amount had let, let's if we go back to the um, to the period around 1650, when the um, when the standing army first came into being, this the sum that was approved by the Diet was around 100,000 um, florins per year, and by the early 1740s or by the mid 1740s, let's say it had climbed to two million florins a year. How did Lower Austria afford that? Because you're dis- you you're describing that alongside this, it's a region in which you have occasional fighting, which is economically disruptive. But it's also a region in which a lot of their traditional products are uh, no longer as profitable. You, you describe a, a a region that economically is not thriving in the way that other regions of Europe are during that time. Right. Um- yeah, I mean, certainly Lower Austria was not a um, was not Western Europe, the the, uh, uh, the Netherlands or or France or Great Britain in terms of of ac- economic activity. A lot of economic activity in 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 Austria was um, I can't um, it doesn't uh, it doesn't doesn't occur to me at at, at, at but the, but. Uh, I, I didn't want to paint. I, what, I, I wouldn't want to paint the situation in Lower Austria too dark. I mean, the situation had improved um, after the um, by the early 18th century. The um, the, uh, the the economy had recovered some somewhat from the Thirty Years' War. There was more trade. There was um, there was there were there was uh, textile uh, production in Lower Austria by the by the 18th century. There was a, there was a certain amount of of, of, of economic activity that would support the the, the um, sums that were that were approved by the diet each year so you have this uh, description over the course of, of your book of, of this effort to uh, uh, respond to the demands of that are being placed upon the Habsburg state in the 17th and 18th century and it uh, it seems to be a largely successful story and then you get to 1780. And then you have the uh, you have the accession of, uh, of 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 Joseph II, and you describe this this 
period of very dramatic change. I was wondering if you could explain uh, was that a success uh, deceptive or was it an effort to, in a, to try to dramatically change things in order to accommodate other issues? Right. If you wouldn't mind if I if I go back for a minute to, to the reign of Maria Theresa, after the um, you have a you have basically an existential crisis in in the Habsburg monarchy with the accession of uh, of young Maria Theresa in seventeen forty. She uh, there had been a, a certain amount of malaise in government in the last um, ten, last ten years of her father's reign. So in the seventeen thirties, there were two basically lost wars, the war of the Polish succession and the war of the and the and the Ottoman War at the um at the end of the seventeen thirties in which the fortress of Belgrade, which Prince Eugene had 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 conquered only twenty years earlier, was was lost again. Then she comes to the throne in seventeen forty and um is attacked by uh, Frederick II is involved of Prussia, uh, for the person that's often called Frederick the Great. Um, so she is um, she she is confronted by this major challenge, and what is her um, uh, what you know? What does she do in order to meet this challenge? What um, what yeah? I mean, what how 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 do you meet this um, the, this uh, this uh, this difficult situation? And her decision was that um, that the uh, that the army would be placed. Uh, at a certain level, that the um, that there, there would be, I think it was 107 or 108 thousand troops. That there would be a standing army of more than 100 100,000 um, troops at main, to be maintained after the after the Seven Years' War. And and her uh, principal minister at that time, Hagwitz, um renegotiated or negotiated with the estates of the of the of the of the Bohemian and Austrian lands basically renegotiated the tax agreement to guarantee um, sums that would uh, support that would support this army and basically and this was this was new basically placed the wartime made wartime taxation uh, a peacetime um, a permanent a permanent aspect of of, of peacetime um, much like the standing army had 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 been introduced in the in the middle of the 17th century as a as a peacetime institution uh, so you have so maria Theresa had already undertaken um very important reforms um uh, including this uh, fixing taxation at a, at a peacetime level, and then she gets involved in the in the Seven Years' War, which um, becomes the most expensive war, a disastrously expensive war in the history of the Habsburg monarchy up until that time. And how does she finance that war? Well, I mean, these agreements that she's included, concluded with the estates um, at the end of the 1740s, she had set, you know, had had set the had set the new taxation at, at a wartime level, and at the same time, had told the estates, "I want increased taxation, um, or I will not increase my demands on the diet because the uh, this new peacetime demand is so so high." Um, for the space of ten years, basically, and then she goes to war before the again before the the ten years are even up, and um, um, and is bound by these agreements. So how does she raise the money to do it? And what she does is she um, she starts borrowing, and she borrows through the estates. This was this this is when the estates really come into their own, and where they play. Um, where I would say the quality of the relationship between the central government and the estates changes um, in the most important way uh, during the 18th century, because Maria Theresa borrows millions and millions and millions of uh, florins through the estates. So she's not only getting taxation from them, but she's borrowing large sums from them. And the monarchy could not have have um, have have sustained the war effort over seven over seven years without this credit that's being that's being provided by the estates. And at the end of at, at the end of the Seven Years War in seventeen sixty three, Joseph the Second, whom you just mentioned, and, and I'm coming back to him. Uh, Joseph the Second had uh, had was a was a young man at that point. It had basically come of age, and the signs are that he was outraged by the fact that um, that the monarchy was so dependent on the estates 
for um, had become so dependent on them through their credit activity. Well, I, is you, yeah. you, you know, he's very famous in in, uh, in in sort of the you know conception of the 18th century as being one of these uh, you know enlightened absolutists or enlightened despots, right? Yeah, or, you know, various labels that exactly that yeah. discredit, but he definitely has a, a very different view of the role of the emperor and the role of the central state than his predecessors have. That that's right. Joseph was Joseph was. Um, differed from both his predecessors, all of his predecessors, and also his immediate successors in his approach to government. He was he was interested in the creation of a, a rationalized, unified monarchy um, in which these uh, various traditional institutions did not play a did not play a significant role, and he was definitely. Um, he was definitely anti-estates in terms of his, of his, um, of, of in terms of his of, of his approach to government. And um, but when he when he came to, and this is what probably maybe one of the things that uh, most surprised me um, when I was doing the research for this book um, is that he, when he came to the throne in 1780, and if you know if you look back at the at the at the historical literature on the Habsburg monarchy, you often read that the, Joseph did not convoke the estates while he was on, on the throne. And he certainly reformed, and this is quite well known, he reformed, he abolished a lot of monasteries. Um, and this affected uh, the composition of the estates. So as I mentioned uh, I, toward the uh, beginning of the interview, about half of the um, members of the estate of clergy of the lower Austrian estates um, disappeared during this period because he 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 abolished um, he abolished monasteries, so his reforms did uh, certainly did did affect the estates. But if you lead, lead, read the literature, and this is what I found so uh, so fascinating, that he did not convoke this. This is the, this is um, what's often said. He did not convoke the diets. He did not convoke the estates in his central lands, in his Bohemian and Austrian lands during his reign. And he certainly didn't um, convoke the um, diet in Hungary while he was. While he was on the throne, and so I decided to. I discovered in Lower Austria that um, that he did by looking at the records, going to the archives, and looking at the records that he in fact did convoke the Diet in Lower Austria every year um, during his reign. And I thought, well, if he did it in Lower Austria, he may have done it in other places too, where we think they've the estates have disappeared or have have vanished because of reform activity. And so I went around to, and this is where my book is really comparative, I went around and looked to the archives and the other provincial in the other in the, in the archives of the other um, Habsburg provinces, Bohemia and Carniola and Carinthia and Styria and Upper Austria, and looked to see, you know, is he convoking the estates there during his reign? Um, and discovered that he that he called the estates together every um, every year throughout his reign, all the way down to seven. He died in February of 1790, and the diets were uh, all convoked in the fall of 1789, which had been the, which had been the practice up to then to convoke the diets each year in the fall. Um, and so he, so he was certainly no friend of the estates, but he was forced to convoke them because of their, of their credit activity. That's the, expl- the, the explanation for that. His, the state debt, if you will, that is, as I mentioned a minute ago, the, during the uh, Seven Years' War, the government had been borrowing lots and lots of money through the estates, and this money had to be paid back. And and there was a uh, and because the estates had been borrowing on behalf of the government, these estates institutions and the central government were so closely interconnected that you could hardly, you know, you. You couldn't you couldn't take them apart without one without one uh, if one collapsed the other would collapse practically and so he had to convoke the estates in the um, uh, in, uh, because that because that the fact that they came together was assigned to the people who held these 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 uh, the bonds that were issued by the estates that they would be paid back. One of the things I thought was very interesting was how you described that when he takes the 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 uh throne in in 1780 uh he uh forgoes some of the important rituals that reaffirmed his obligations to uh his uh 
you know, subjects specifically uh, the the you know power groups in in, in the various states, and how when his brother Leopold uh, takes over in 1790, and then of course when he's followed by Francis, he that they go back to that, and and it, it seems to be almost something of a of a uh, of a repair activity, and it speaks to the endurance of, of the estates in terms of their importance. Yeah, that's right. That was another way. That was uh, that was another way in which Joseph uh, just differed from both his mother Maria Theresa and also from his brother and his nephew um, Leopold II and Francis II. That he didn't he he uh, refused to go through these uh, inaugural rites, these coronations, these these coronation ceremonies. That they, a few of them had. The, or let's put it this way: in the, uh, in the 18th century, in the later 18th century, the ones in the major lands of the Habsburg monarchy survived, and this was a sign that the Habsburg monarchy was was a composite monarchy, basically made up made up of of separate of of politically separate territories um and the the coronation in bohemia in prague had survived in the kingdom of Bohemia proper it survived the coronation in hungary had survived and also the what's called the erbhuldigung this is the german term the act of homage in lower austria had um had survived and it was usually the very first ceremony that um, Austrian under, uh, rulers underwent when they came to the throne was the was the so-called act of homage in Vienna when the estates gathered in the um, in the in the Habsburg Palace here in, in downtown Vienna and there were all sorts of ceremonies that were associated with that um, and took an oath of homage to the Habsburg ruler in exchange for a guarantee of what was called the the estates constitution which was basically the political constitution of the of 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 the of the territory you have to remember in the early modern period you didn't, you didn't have in most places you didn't have written constitutions that guaranteed the the written order the, the constitutional order was established through these kinds of ceremonies and joseph wanted to reform and he didn't want to be bound by the conventions that such ceremonies uh, imposed on him, and so he refused to submit to these ceremonies. He was he wasn't crowned anywhere. He had the Bohemian crown, the Hungarian crown, and also the the um, the in Lower Austria there's no crown. It's called the Archducal hat, and he had these various um, artifacts. Um, uh, taken from their places of safekeeping, the one in Lower Austria was always kept in the Abbey of Kloster Neuburg, which is a which is a big abbey just north of the of the city here on the on the Danube River, and he had them all placed in his treasury here in Vienna, and said, "I'm you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna participate in these ceremonies because um, he didn't say it, but it was because they they placed restraints on his power." Um, and he um, and 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 he rejected these restraints until he had reformed the monarchy in the way he thought um, uh, he, the way he thought that should be done. Now the problem with 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 this is that um, is that toward the end of Joseph's reign there were other there were there were in in the southern Netherlands for example there was uh, also he also implemented reforms there in the southern Netherlands and he abolished in response to um, to opposition there, he abolished what he called uh, he abolished the state estates con- constitution in the in the um, province of Brabant in the southern Netherlands, and this provoked a rebellion. And so Joseph is strengthening the monarchy, um, but he's also weakening it uh, by um, by attacking these elites on which the monarchy is is dependent. And you have a certain amount of unrest in Hungary, and even the lower Austrian estates. The, 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 I would say the, uh, the, concatenation of interests, if you will, between the monarchy and the estates in the in the various central lands, including lower Austria, was much closer than say in, between the monarchy and the um, elites in the southern Netherlands or in or in Hungary. But even here, there is uh, uh, there's a, there's a high level of dissatisfaction by the time that by the time that um, Joseph dies, and when Leopold then comes to the throne, his brother, who was also a very enlightened ruler, um, but uh, Leopold realized that 
Um, and this uh, this was something also that I found quite fascinating that Leopold and also Maria Theresa had 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 understood this as well that if you have such high levels of fiscal um, exaction, there has to be a way you know taxes being taken from people. Uh, you have uh, uh, recruits being taken from from local um, from villages and from um, and and from local society. And you also have to have a way for these things to be legitimated. And one way of legitimating them of of of, of for for these sorts of for this activity to be legitimated is for these is for these diets to come together each year for the estates to meet each year and to approve. The, um, the 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 tax request. Yeah, there's. I I see even connections to American history in the in the, in the later uh, 18th century. You, know, so you have during the Seven Years um, during the Seven Years War the imposition of taxes by the British Parliament on on Americans without asking without asking for their approval. And this was also what was going on in um, in in the Habsburg monarchy. In, in certain places, at least, and um, there was a, it, it caused problems at the end of his reign, and and then Leopold came to the throne, and he um, uh, recalled the estates, or or, or, or or was crowned in in Bohemia and Hungary. He underwent the very first thing he did when he arrived. He had he had been Grand Duke in in, in, in Tuscany. That had been his. His area, while his brother was emperor, he had been Grand Duke down in, in, in Tuscany, and he came back to Vienna. He arrived here, I think, on the 12th of March, and he already underwent the act of homage in Vienna in, um, on April 6th. So um, very, very quickly. And this sent a sign out to the entire uh, Habsburg monarchy. Um, it was heard everywhere that he was going to rule according to, um, to the uh, to established established constitution the constitutional um practices that joseph had had ignored so you have in that respect a, a reaffirmation of the uh status of the estates their their role in 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 in, in the habsburg state overall you it, so in some respects it's triumphal and yet then they go through this uh they go through this in, uh, unprecedented experience with the the, the wars of, of the revolutionary era and, and the Napoleonic Wars, and, and and they're not as healthy when they when they emerge out of that. You, basically, at that point, you're 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 ending your study because it, you know the estates are no longer as as vital and 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 their their days are really numbered. Um, well, I don't know about that. I mean, the estates resume the role that they had um, that they had taken in the Seven Years' War um, in the um, in, in, in uh, Maria Theresa's reign and even partly in, jo- in Joseph's reign, in the sense that they are, are meet on a yearly basis. They uh, approve the um, the. The yearly tax, re- they they approve the the tax request that comes down from the central government. They, with uh, their own administrative structures, um, impose and collect the taxes in Lower Austria. And most importantly, again, they they are they're providing enormous amounts of credit to the uh, to the central government. It was another another if one if one high point of this credit activity of the estates. Uh, was in the Seven Years' War, and the next high point was in the coalition wars of the of the 1790s. Where what they're doing, in, in order for I guess for people to understand what this credit activity was, I, I should I should explain it a little bit. In in the earlier period, in the late 18th, in the late 17th century, when the estates are are loaning money to the central government, what is basically happening is that the nobility and the clergy. Um, the wealthy nobility and clergy that belong to the estates then loan money to the estates as a corporation and it's fed up to the central government. Now, over the course of the 18th century, and this is one of the ways that the estates change, the estates change under this under this fiscal military pressure from the 1650s onward. It's not like they stay the same. They're, they're, they're also changing. And what happens during, the, during Maria Theresa's reign is that the estates then start uh, absorbing or start uh, um, their 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 um, 
credit activity starts to take in larger, um, a, a broader section of the population, um, partly because they're imposing forced loans on the on the population during wartime, um, and then and then feeding this money up to, up to the government. But what happens is that you also in peacetime after the Seven Years' War, you have um, women, you have common people, you have common soldiers, uh, peasants loaning their money to the estates. Um, and it's then gets you know gets fed into this into this system, and this is still going on during the uh, revolutionary Napoleonic Wars. The estates are sustaining the the uh, war effort of the of, of the Habsburg monarchy, and this goes up uh, basically uh, up until up until 1814, 1815. The real the reason I end the the um, the story there is because the Habsburg monarchy is not involved in a war uh, again until basically until 1848, and at that time the estates disappear. But the estates basically retain their their significance for uh, tax collection, for uh, the administration of state debt, and in other ways um, up through the Revolutionary Napoleonic period. Well, we've taken up a lot of your time, but before we go, could you tell us what you're working on now? I'm working on a I, I'm, I want to look at this problem that I've been trying to explain um, during this interview. That the Habsburg monarchy is a fiscal military state. I'm I'm working on I've um, on a volume looking at the entire monarchy. I mean, what I've done that because I mean it's a, also a, it's a question of the languages that you can um, that you can read and whatnot, Czech and Hungarian. But um, and so I'm working on this with a with a colleague, and it's um, it's going to be a, go- a volume called the Habsburg Monarchy as a as a fiscal military state, 1650 to 1815 contours and perspectives. And what we're doing, we're, we're we've asked someone to look at Hungary, we've asked someone to look at Bohemia. Um, to see and to look at all levels of the administration. Some will be looking at a manorial structure. Someone will be looking at, at the Hungarian estates and someone will be looking at, at towns and whatnot. How did this fiscal military pressure impact on all, on all levels of, 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 of Habsburg uh, society and government? That's the, that's the question behind the volume and that's what we're trying to do. Well, it sounds like a very thorough approach to a very complex issue. Yeah, it's 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 pretty complex. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bill, thank you very much for taking some time out of your schedule to speak with us. I hope you have a wonderful day. Okay, thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. 